0: This is the Ben Ryan Podcast, part of the Sports Podcast Network. From his beginnings in Singatoka, a rugby town in Fiji, to gracing every top professional league in the world, rugby superstar Namani Nandolo's story is an engaging one. One of the world's best rugby union wingers in the last 20 years, it's not been a straight path to his many achievements and honours. Indeed, at one stage, it looked like Namani might not have a career in rugby at all. But thoughts of lucrative work in the mining industry soon turned to following his passion and eventually lighting it up at a Rugby World Cup. It's a story full of takeaways and cognizance. I met Namani pre-COVID in a park in Oadby, Leicestershire, shortly after he had signed to play for the Leicester Tigers in the Gallagher Premiership. As the lawnmowers buzzed in the background, we spoke about the importance of understanding the individual, controlling your ego, and a whole lot more. This also became an emotional chat and I really thanked Namani for opening up to me. It was also a conversation I wanted to have early in the Ben Ryan podcast, as he was one of the first people I reached out for advice when I began my time in Fiji. Just chatting to Nems in a place thousands of miles away from the South Pacific instantly reminded me of the warmth of the Fijian people and the importance of family and relationships. To get the best out of anyone, first you listen and you learn. Here we go.
1: For me, less is best around game day. In some teams that I've played in, it was all the players. Um, you do your own thing, and there was there wasn't even a meeting. You just get on the bus and you're off to the game, because that was given the ownership to the players. You know, because well, let's just say the team that I, one of the teams that I was in, the coaches ran the show from Monday to Thursday, and then from Friday. There was no one on the field but the players. Friday lunch and then Saturday, if it was an away game, it was all the players, you know, and and that I think was really good because it gave us the ownership, a bit of ownership to be like, right, the coaches have done their job, now it's, our, you know, now it's our turn. And so then again, it just depends on the team that you're in and the individuals that you're, you're playing with, if that makes sense. Mm. You know, one thing I've seen over here in the northern hemisphere of rugby, there's a lot of ownership you know, amongst the coaches and stuff to, to take all that game day stuff and you know like prep the game right up until maybe kickoff but um, you know it works here for for northern hemisphere southern hemisphere different you know it's good and it's bad but for me personally I, I, I believe the player should be professional enough to prepare himself for that game because at the end of the day the work has been done if you haven't done the work during the week there's a problem
0: come game day no I get I get that and we talked a little bit about how you like to be coached and I guess it comes into, like, the, the language that you have around, around you from the coaches. Yeah. Like, when I went to Fiji, uh, I saw Indamu who, who I was coaching in England. Oh, yeah. He said a couple of things, like, don't swear to the boys in public and um, don't have an argument with someone in public, you know, because that's just not the way to be doing things. Take someone to the side, have small conversations and yeah. stuff. And I, I kind of thought, that's not a bad rule for life, right? You know, yeah. you, you don't need to scream and shout and, and take strips out of people in front of everyone. But is that how you is that how you like to be managed For me it's just just talking like I said like pulling it aside
1: I've learned over the years i just need to be told once like i I don't like it when when you, when I'm getting repeated you know when I'm getting told so many times to do one thing if, if that happens then obviously I'm not doing my job so I'm sort of like that you know pull me aside you know I guess no one likes to be told off in front of everyone, but if it happens it happens but um You know, I'd like to think that as a player, as a person, you know, you could pull me aside and and be like, this is what I need from you, this is what I want from you. And then the rest is that, do you know what I mean? And then I'll
0: go on and do my job. I've been in situations, I guess, where as a player, you're getting told that you're not doing certain standards or you're not behaving in a certain way. And you know that that coach is not behaving in that way either. Yeah. Do you think it's important that, because I'm reading about Borgwan for example, in 2010, where you weren't even getting paid, right? Yeah, yeah that I'm sure whatever they were saying to you and they weren't holding up their side of the bargain it's going to not maybe fall on deaf ears but it doesn't have that kind of it's not going to make you want to believe them and, and I guess follow them.
1: Yeah 100% and I think as a coach it's important it starts with the coaches I think and I've always said this that if you're going to say one thing and you do another don't expect your players like you, you can't be that person to be going off at your players and I've, I've had I've had one in particular I won't say name but where it was like, say one thing, do one thing. Yeah. And, you know, I'm just thankful that I was old enough, mature enough as a rugby player just to get on with my job. But it's hard for players to react that way if, if you know, the boss isn't doing his part of the agreement or the organisation, and like you said, in, at book one. I didn't get paid. I, I, was, gar- I was meant to get paid 5000 a month, euro, which was a lot for a 21-year-old back then, and I rocked up. And they didn't pay me from the first... I, I got paid €1,000, and they kept saying you know excuses excuses but I was like their player that needed to to perform and I was young then and they were like you're not scoring tries, you're not doing this and I was like it was hard for me at the time because I was like well you're not paying me and so that was that was really hard because I I, I just moved over and I was you know supporting a family and 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 all that stuff so for me if it's hard for me to respect you as a person if you're if you're telling me one thing but doing something else and I think it's important for coaches you know there's a lot of good coaches and a lot of bad coaches but if you've got peace and clarity and you get on like you do
0: it you do what you say you do and if there was i guess with all the the different programs you've been involved in think of one or two things that you think is absolutely necessary for any sort of winning culture any high performing team is there anything that you go this is what we you have to have understanding your players particularly guys that come from different cultures
1: especially with the way rugby is going that right now teams from europe are in, Assigning signing guys from Argentina, Georgia, Samoa, Tonga, Fiji, South Africa. These countries all have different cultures. We all have different upbringings. Now, I'm not saying you sit them down and, you know, but it'll help to get to know that individual's past, that individual's family, the life, because the moment you get to realize you get to know them and, and what they are off the field, I think it's gonna be easier for you to conduct. And I think Leicester have done that well with me, I know, they've, you know they're looking after Thomas Lavanini, who's an Argentinian international, and I, it gives me, like, I can only speak for my experience, but the way Leicester have dealt with me since I've got here, with Steve Borthwick, you know, Alad, our trainer, and, and the medical staff, it's just been like, it's reignited my rugby career. They took me aside, they took the time to care about not only what they want for me as a rugby player, but what they want for me mentally, because... Mentally, it's just as important as being physically fit in, in rugby. Especially with now, with social media, with people telling you this and that. You know, and and every day I see those guys. are like, "How's your family?" I mean, you do that to me, and I will, I'll take a bullet for
0: you. Yeah, I used to. I mean, I used to find I'd get more out of finding out about someone just walking maybe from the sheds to the changing room or yeah. sharing a a boo underneath the coconut yeah. tree after training. But the, the Western mentality often is one-on-one sitting down, formal feedback and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. But you think actually it's those informal chats. It's, it, that's valuable for you to, yeah. to feel like someone actually is thinking about how you are. 100%. And, and for me, I,
1: I don't like formal chats and stuff. So the informal stuff, especially with you – and know, one thing I, I thought they did well in, in one of the teams that I played in was it wasn't about you as a rugby player. It was you as a person. And I think what they did was when I spoke to one of the, the coach at the time, he was like, when we sign people, we don't sign because of the way they play rugby. We sign their character. Yeah. And we do our research on their character. And I know it sounds like, oh, get on with it, it's rugby, it's tough. But if you care about the ca- players, like, just feelings and just, yeah. just talk to him. How yeah. are you? How's your family? How's this? How's that? What can I do for you? Straight away, you're going to be like, hold on, this guy wants to be my friend, you know? And that's hard for some of the, the Islander boys, don't get me wrong. It's hard for us to open up. You know, Islander boys come from nothing, and so they won't talk about anything. You know, we've had stories in France where guys have committed, Fijian boys committed suicide because they didn't talk up and because the clubs didn't help them or didn't do
0: this. And I've had calls from a French club that said that uh, we got a player and he's, he's either got a drinking or a gambling problem because the banks rang up and he's gone over his overdraft again. Yeah. I was like, mate, go to his flat, just have a, have a look. And they go to his flat, there's nothing in his flat he's sending all his money back home and there's no and there's also no one to talk to yeah 100%. and he's literally you know on the edge and that's it mate because we don't get that education you know
1: because we know all we know is to look after our family and if clubs can realize that you know and that's where a lot of guys fijian boys go wrong in france and and i, and I say that wholeheartedly. play the fijian boys go wrong in france because they get treated as if you're french you gotta learn the language and you get on with it and when payday comes they're not told listen this is what happens this is what that. and so you know like I said you've got to just learn your player where they come from you can't just be going to get the world's best player from Fiji and not know anything about him yeah. and just expect him okay because he scored five tries there so you got to score for us there's more rugby now or sports in general there's more into it than just playing sports than just rocking up to training being mentally fit is just as important as being
0: physically fit I totally get how when everyone's when it's younger it's it's tough, right, to, to stand up, in, especially in a, like a senior group with yeah. lots of players. But do you think experience is what helps you kind of be able to do that now? And do you feel confident, like, go take Guam when they weren't paying you and and you were a 21-year-old coming into a foreign country and a foreign language. Did you feel you could stand up and you could kind of up-manage those people or do you just have to get your head down?
1: There and then, no, probably not. I, I think, you know, it was like you know, I was afraid, I was scared to, to talk up, because A, I'm, I'm in a country where if they cut my contract, where do I go, to, what do I do, yeah. you know, but like, you know, I wouldn't like to, for me, I like to use the word mature, you know, as you mature over the years, if it happened now, yes, I'd talk up and say something, and you know, but it, it's tough, you know, but like I said, now these days, as days are going, you've got younger kids, you've got younger captains, you've got younger leaders, um, but me personally, I probably wouldn't have said anything. And you know, I would have complained and stuff, but you know, I would have just fell on deaf ears, I guess. What sort of leader do you think you are now? Good question. <laughs> um, yeah, that's a, no one's asked me that question. What sort of leader? I'd say I'd like to think someone who, on the rugby field, you know, if you just go back to rugby, a leader that just does the action, leads by by action, I guess. You know, I've always said to myself, man, it'd be good to captain a team one day, it'd be good. But if I look back the last two, three years, I've actually been a leader in my team, just. Mm without the captain, see, if that makes sense. You know, totally. and leading by making sure that I perform during the week and at training and in games in particular. And so I'd like to think that, you know, I'm more of a action doer in terms of, of, of leadership. And I think that's also where too, where you get your, your respect um, as well, you know, especially in the rugby fields, in, in the rugby world where it can be tough to, you know, it's hard to, to talk up when you're younger and try and be a leader because it's changing now. But back then when I first started, there were a lot of older, older guys from the old era that was finishing up and just be like, you know your place, shush. So, yeah, I'd like to think I'd lead by action on the field, um, and you know that hasn't changed. Um, it, it just gets harder as you get old, as you get
0: older. Yeah. So, but no, it's good. And I guess when, when you, we talked about experience, so when you know you started out at Nudgee, yeah. and then we're in that Queensland school, Boys' side, I think, yeah, yeah. and there was some bit. Will Genia was in yeah. that team, Pocock. Yeah, a lot of Wallabies um, came out of that. Yeah,
1: they all went on to. to to represent Australia later so on I guess Australia.
0: thinking having that in your head about starting there and being now yeah. where you are now and if we were kind of talking about uh, ego and ego is like this fine balance in sport where you've got to have a bit of an ego if you're going to walk out in front of 50,000 people 100%. and do your thing 100% but then you've also got to have that uh, humility I guess yeah. and I've seen it in elite sport where egos can get people into a lot of trouble especially as coaches because yeah. they, can, they can be really stubborn in what they're doing because yeah, they won't yeah. want to back down do you have, have you had any like any dramas with your ego where you've had to battle it a bit over your career? And do you feel like your ego, your your ego, is a good mate now?
1: I won't lie to you. When I was in uh, Japan, I think my ego probably got the better of me. I was 22 then, so I was 22, 23, and uh, this is at Green Rockets. Yeah, the Green Rockets at NEC. Like, yeah, I, I would say my Ego got the better of me. I thought, you know, I, I'd, you know, plan in Japan, you know, scoring tries left, right, and centre, with, without being Arrogant or anything, but tries came easy back then for me. And then um, my ego probably got the better of me off the field as well. Um, And my wife would be the first to tell you that. And so you know, I've my wife's a bit older than me, but she she was a bit more mature. But she, I'm just thankful that she she understood that I was young. But at the same time, my ego was like I'm better than this, I'm better than that, you know. And I was playing in Japan, and then um, that all changed once me and my partner broke up and I realised got to do something about this. I was in and then that's when I went to New Zealand, then we broke up. So I, I let playing the Crusaders get a bit get to me. Yeah. You know, I thought I was something that I was actually not and, you know, I'll be the first to admit it. And it's that's ego right there. And um, I think once me and my wife now at my partner was at the time we broke up. It was like that all that, a lot of that changed. Was it a light bulb moment? Yeah, like a light bulb like you know, you know, the one person that you really that really there for you is not there and so, you know, I owe a lot to her. You know, fast forward to now, my ego is within myself now. So I have an insight. I've got this ego where I think I'm better than you, but I'll never tell you. I'll never yeah. show you. But outside, it's, like I said, it comes with maturity. You know, you learn to control this ego. Like, and, and now it's my friend. Yeah. So when I go to training, right now I've got a lot of young guys who are pushing for spots, you know, and I'm this signing, this big-name signing that came over. I don't, that's what it's been said. But, like, now that ego's... Now that it's my friend, I can be like, right, within myself, I'm arrogant. If that makes sense? So, inside, I'm... And, and, and part of that has... It's always been inside me, but it's just gotten stronger as I get older.
0: Yeah. So, I would talk about it, about wanting to go talk about the Fijian Sevens team too much. But when... I remember going to, into... The, before the Olympic final, where I didn't have to say anything. And I'd have yeah, a big yeah. speech. And I, I, there was no need. Because I looked at the boys, and they had that very... Um, unique I guess you're lucky as a coach you get a team that are over competent yeah so like you know that they're bomb proof in their decision making their skills they're fit they're aligned but then when you're working with teams like that sometimes you get overconfidence because like yeah. you know like you but said in Japan yeah. Like, well yeah get the ball over with the score it's yeah. like you know this is too easy yeah. and I suppose you're kind of talking a little bit like that that you're your overcompetency is yeah. there but you're not allowed in that overconfidence but it's inside so you know that you're better than that you're yeah. opposite man and that's what you're going to show but you don't need to yeah. scream it from the rooftops is that kind of what you're saying
1: 100 percent i think you've nailed it on the head there with screaming from the rooftop you know and like i said it all resonates back to being action in terms of being a leader you know showing how my leadership is but that comes back to being confidence within inside myself now now i'm a bit older i've got a few niggle you know injuries and. You know the body moves on, but inside that spark of being that arrogant ego is not only, is not now my enemy, it's my friend. Yeah. So, you know, I know when to turn it on and I know when to turn it off. And now with my son in the world, it gets turned off pretty quickly because you know I get home and it's,
0: I'm the dad. So, um, have you got any good triggers? Anything that you use, or you're more aware now? I say, because like we all have those days, like long days, where you're getting agitated or things aren't quite working out, and your ego is. Popping out a little bit more, are you more aware? Can you park it now? Can you push it back? Yeah, 100%. I think once I leave the rugby
1: field or the, the rugby HQ, it just turns off. It's boom. Because what I do now is, I started this in France. When I leave rugby, I call my wife straight away, and that's kind of like the switch to be turned off. yeah Do you know what I mean? And then I know it sounds, it doesn't sound as much, but it, it does a lot for me because it's the moment I hear my wife's voice, it's like, all right it's home life now and so now with baby now you know I'm straight in the car you know and I can still be tense from that training like I might have dropped a ball I might have missed a tackle and I'd be hating myself you know so the drive's still there but as soon as I get in the car it's like right turn it on and then at least it gives me a few hours now to you know bring the ego down and then at night I do some homework I review the training and you know do all the, the, the stretching and the recovery stuff and then it does come out a bit you know what I mean but then um, I always, I've got things in place now that, that can control that. Yeah. And it's funny because you don't think about it when you're doing it, but when we're talking about it, it's like, oh yeah, that is actually what ego is, you know? Yeah. And then so I have things in place that turns it on, turns it off.
0: We talked a little bit about the ego. Do you think it's ever it's ever helped you in a positive way, and without wanting to bang on about it, has it helped or hindered you? look when I first got told I wasn't good enough it always I always
1: start back from there my ego was alright jumping out yeah at probably. well I'm not I'm better than you know yeah. I think I'm, I'm good enough to do it so the, there's been times where I could control it there was one time where I couldn't control it now is my ego controlled I'd like to think so will I ever get the better of me will make right now my career no in my life no I think I'd like to think that I've done everything I can I have done in, as a professional rugby player you know played around the world I've done everything I've got a, I've got a small family now you know and that that now has kind of put the it's kind of putting the light out on that ego yeah, yeah. Um, you know now like I said' it, it's, it's amazing how when you you know I've been fortunate enough to play 11 years as a, as a professional um, and I'm at this part of my career where I appreciate a lot of the things now you know you know and I'm in a position now to help young guys um, so the ego you can't have an ego for that you know you've got to be opening and willing to help it these guys I mean when I was younger and I had older players who I looked up to and they were there I kind of didn't get that it was kind of like don't do that don't you know whereas I wouldn't tell a young guy don't drink I would tell him you know listen make the right choices you know and so you can't have ego for that and I think I'd like to think my ego's slowly coming down and wearing out because the only time I get an ego is when um I have an argument with my wife and I you know more times I just uh if I'm right or wrong, she wins. So that's the only time the ego <laughs> gets a bit hot.
0: Because I mentor a, a centre forward that plays professional football. And yeah, he finds it hard not to look at social media after a game. Like if he's if he's done well or he's done badly. Yeah, he looks at it. And if he's done badly, that following week training, his heads down. He wants to get in and out of training as quick as possible. Yeah, that's a good um, one. It sounds like you're kind of you got a good measure on that now. Like you've you've in a positive way, you understand how much some of that stuff is just comes with the job and it's not about you it's probably more about yeah. them what about with the other guys coming up now either that are, uh, have already are there or are coming up the track do you see any any big egos that you've struggled to deal with or had problem as a teammate or that you've helped and kind of steered them I wouldn't say there is egos with these young guys coming up. Well, not the, the guys that I'm that I'm playing with. And it, or, in, I mean, I guess in your in your career, really, it's, it's, if there's ever been you've been in a culture where there's someone's ego that's just been hard to contain? You know, oh, I'm not yeah. talking about naming names. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, no, 100. There's you, have you seen any decent solutions to, you know, that that it's not necessarily the maverick, but somebody that's the ego is almost getting in the way of achieving the team's
1: yeah, goals. Yes, 100. Yeah, this one club that I was at, the ego was so bad that you just knew you weren't gonna win a, a premiership. You just knew you were gonna, you weren't doing well. The only thing we had in common was we could all play rugby. Yeah. And so, um, and it's just hard because you, you couldn't change it. And that for me was tough because we had a, you know, I'd like to think we, we had a good chance at doing really well and you know, there were, there were a few egos there that probably would have made it hard for us to, to do well but you just get on with it. Do you think anybody would have been able to change, change that? It, it either had to be cleaned out or it, it just couldn't be changed within that group. And so as much as it was a negative, you know, it was a learning curve for me because it was like, well, this is what I don't... You, know, you learn from those sort of stuff. Yeah. and You could take it either you know, one or two ways. You can hate it and, and, and hate that or you could learn from it. And I always like to think that I, from every country that I've been in and every competition that I've played in, I'd like to learn from what went wrong, what went right, um, and you know you've, you've got to take the good with the bad you know? you've you got to take the criticism you know, with, with the compliments and I've had a lot of my career and so like you said you are know, talking about that player that can't help but read social media like for me I'll read it but does it get to me yeah it does but do I carry on with it no because I, I, I see this that if, if I'm out there doing it putting writing on Twitter or writing on Instagram whatever and whether it's good or bad then I should be able to take it if someone writes bad about me. And at the end of the day, it's just words, you know. Yeah. I mean, some words are harsh. You, you got to pick up on. But I've heard it all before in my career. You know, you're not good enough. You're, you're too slow. Why did you drop the ball? But you know, sometimes part of
0: it was my fault, and you're like, yeah, you're fair enough. But then other times you're just like, oh well. Would you ever, would you ever pick anyone? I guess it's jumping to one of my other big things that principles is the standard you walk past so yeah. it's a standard that you become so you know i use i use the example that like i might be starting at six in the morning uh, for a long training day not finished till 10. Yeah. i see one of the players being rude to a cleaner and i'm thinking look i'll deal with it in the morning because i saw what he did and i'm tired i want to go and grab some food yeah. and if if i leave it i'm that person being rude to the cleaner and yeah. i saw you recently like you you picked someone up on some casual racism really on 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 the stuff that often comes up about um fijian name pronunciations and things like that and like how many have you always kind of stopped to kind of stop you know have you do you always feel that that's something that you've always had that the standard that you walk past is is important and you'll always pick someone up on that
1: when i was younger probably not i was a bit you know naive as you get older it's tough and, right when you're younger yeah. i mean you, you don't know any better you know you're 21 you're, you're coming to the world well, as, you, as you get older and you know as you've been ex- exposed to a lot of these things and don't get me wrong you know being at the elite level you know it's a luxury as well as a curse at sometimes you know because you, you do get exposed to some of this stuff and in particular racism and like as anything i'd like to be picked up if someone said this to me or you know and i get it all the time you know you played rubbish you played this either but for me i think it's important to, to that if someone does something on the spot that doesn't sit well by you say something about it you know you, you might not change the person but you know it needs to be said there and then because then I always say like like for instance my, my little brother he's I love him to be he's, he's 21 he's you know I'm looking after him at the moment but I'm onto his back because it's not because I'm that person it's because I want him it's gonna make him a better person in the future yeah. do you know what I mean and I think if you if you don't do something right there and then in, in your mind and in their mind it's going to be oh that's all right you know it's okay I'll, I'll do it next time but you know you've already hurt someone there so no i think it's important for me as a person and i think it in life, in general,
0: I got I got given some good advice once. Where if you imagine there's four people and one person doesn't matter what you do, they love you, you know, yeah. your mum or your wife, or and, and doesn't you know if you're terrible or you're great, they are just they're never going to think you're anything other than brilliant. Yeah. And then there's another one at the end that it doesn't matter what you do, you don't, yeah. You, you, they, they just don't rate you. And, yeah. You know, and you're never going to change their mind. Yeah. But the two guys in or, or, or people in the middle, they will just say what they feel based upon how you are in yeah. the present. And I guess they're the that's the stuff you try yeah. to. To realise if you need to improve or you're doing well. And for me now, in my
1: career, for, if I, for me, it's just listening to the coaches. I used to, I used to take that in a bit. Oh, he's not this. He's not good enough. He's too old. But for me now, it's like I just listen to the coaches. Get feedback from them. They're the most important feedback. And my wife. And then I like to think Twitter now is as, as a show, as entertainment. You know, it's just sometimes you're in it. You're part of. You're the character. Yeah. You know. And do you care what people think about you? No. I, I honestly, I've been around that long that I've had from the start of my career to now. I've always been I've always been written off. You know, I've always been told I'm big, I'm too slow, and that. So, you know, it's it's like a bad cough, really, isn't it you know it's just going to go away. It's just you can deal with it and move on. So, but when they start getting personal, you know, when you start talking about things that I, I stand for, then yeah. you know I'm, I'm going to say something. Yeah. But then again, you say something. There's always got to be an opinion. You know, I said something about that casual racism, and then people are breaking it down and saying this and that, and you're just like, okay, but you know, but you made them aware of it, right? Yeah, I made and them that's the th- You know, that's I mean, the she, stuff. you know, she, or he or she, whoever it was, is a Leicester Tiger supporter, so you know, you're supporting me at the end of the day. So, if, if you're going to make fun of. You know, of of your players. Yeah. I I think it, it's up to us. That, yeah. It's up to us. And it is. It's education. You got in England, they probably wouldn't have heard of these Fiji names. And I can understand the English jokes, but you know, there's got to be a point where, like, listen, it's not, it's not acceptable. Yeah. And you
0: ch- you changed your surname. Yeah. When, you're it. Up. And when I look on Wikipedia as well, it says you were born in Singatoka. Now you weren't. Well, you were born no, in the w- province, but yeah. you're born in Namatakula right? No. In Singatoka. Or you were born in Singatoka. Yeah. No, Which... people get mixed up. So I
1: was born in Singatoka Hospital. Okay. And then so, moved So, over. for those
0: of you that don't know, Singatoka is like rugby town in oh. Fiji. Um, they're crazy about, uh, you know, they've got, they're crazy all over Fiji, but in Singatoka. Yeah. But then in Namatukula, which is a cool little village that you drive down the, I think it's the Queen's Highway. Yeah. Um, you go well, down on the way to Suva. On the way to Suva, or the way Singatoma, to Nandi, yeah. or Singatoka. I took, I took the Fijian Sevens team there once because I kept driving past it, and, you know, you've got the pitch with the school. Yeah. And there's like a, there's a big rock in the middle of that. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean it's, it's massive. Yeah, it was there when I was a child. Yeah. So. so we took the boys there to play rugby against against the village team. Oh, did you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I saw that One on, on, it on Facebook. It was a lot yeah. of fun. And a couple of the boys went on to to get into the Fiji team from there. It's yeah. No it, we call it, the rugby factory. <laughs> <Yeah>. um,
1: because <laughs> it's, I mean, it's funny. Just come out from there. Oh, there's back in the nineties. You had Nolan Andruku, who played yeah. for Canberra Raiders. Yeah. Yeah, the goose. Yeah. And then most recently you had Lotte Lotte yeah. Tungiri who played. Obviously went on dual international. Uh, myself, my brother, then now uh, you've got Tavita, who's playing, Kurindrani who's playing for Wallabies and Brumbies, and then obviously you've got a few guys playing sevens as amazing. well. It it's, it's amazing. And then you've still got league as well, you've got a few players playing league, so we, we call it the rugby factory where, um, yeah, you know, I, I think if you say Namatakula in Fiji, <laughs> a lot of people will direct you to the right place. Yeah, well,
0: like, <laughs> I guess it goes back to, which, talked about with do one of the sevens players probably the best sevens player in the world at the moment jerry Tuway. Oh, so yeah. when we went to when i went to newtown and and i met his parents um and he lived in a, a settlement and you know they talked about when he left school at 14 or 15 and he, he'd die for fish and, and move the bay with his with his dad sell the fish and i was trying to get him to be more consistent because jerry was great in games but he didn't want to train very yeah. hard and then they talked about how you know he he wanted to um be a rugby player and 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 that was his dream and they saved up for a pair of rugby boots yeah and they handed him his boots said this is your knife this is your fork this is what you're going to put food on the table for us and for me it was really powerful about delivering why jerry does what he does yeah you must have a big wife from your background right yeah i it's similar um my why is obviously
1: my family my um my, my mom and dad uh split up when i was just i i had another year of high school I, I was at Naji and i had another year and my father and my mother divorced, uh, father remarried pretty quickly, and, and so mum left my mother with a, a mortgage, and, and at the time two younger brothers, and my older sister had gone. Um, you know, she so you, you were the eldest? So I was the eldest boy, um, so second eldest, and so I, had to, I left high school, and I think that's where it all started, because for me it was supporting my family. But back then my, my brother is now 20, and my other one's 27, back then they were still in high school and primary school, so. My why was making sure that I had food on the table and, um, you know, clothes on their back. And, you know, I did anything and everything to make sure they were fine. So, I mean, I, 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 not many people know this, but I, I played in Malaysia for for six months just wow. earning some money. I played in, um, in what was that, Kuala Lumpur, yeah, 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 KL, yeah. played for the Cobra team. Yeah. And, um, you know, so I earned a bit of money living there. Um, and then I came back and, you know, so I did anything and everything to just to make sure they were f- that you know that they had food on the table. So this early part of my career, rugby wasn't because I wanted you know wanted to be played at the top. It was to earn money so that I could send home. And then it wasn't until I, I went to I came back from Europe, my first stint in Europe, that I realised that I could actually you know be someone good. And so that's when I had to sort of change the balance. But I was fortunate enough to buy my mother a house um, in Brisbane, and you know she's she's you know she's she's happy. But there were times there where. We struggled a lot and that's why when i went to france and didn't get paid there were a lot of sleepless nights there you know because what do i tell my mom i can't send money home i don't even have money to to
0: support myself here and um and but to, to people that you've you've played with or you've or have coached you, do you think they they know that why as well
1: no not really i don't really Are talk about asked? it no nah, unless you ask me I, I i won't bring it up but um you know i've had i've had people ask me talk to me about my stories and and I've, and I've just opened up, but I, I won't be the one to tell you unless, you know, because, you know, that for me was, was something, you know, special to me and, it, it, like, that, that, that was really what shaped my life. I had to grow from an 18-year-old kid who wanted to enjoy life, who wanted to go and do things what 18-year-olds do. I had to miss out on that, you know, because I, I had to support my, my family. I had a household to feed. and But in saying that, you know, when I have had my first son, looking back on it, that life that that I went through, that part of my life that I went through, prepared me for fatherhood. Little did I know, I was being a father to my two younger brothers, supporting them, being with them, make sure they were fine. You know, as well as being an older brother. And then now, like with my son now, I see there's only there's a little bit of difference differences between what I was back then, being a father figure, and now. And so I'm thankful for that because it, it prepped me f- for now. And mm. You know, I remember one time I wanted to give up rugby. I wanted to quit. And I said to my mum, listen, rugby's not working. I just played, um, I did Broncos. I did pre-season with the Brisbane Broncos under-20s, Rugby League, this is, over in Australia. And after that, I said, mum, I've had enough. I want to go home. Uh, I'll I'll go to the mines. There was was an opening to go work in the mines. You earn about two grand a week. You know, that for me, I was like, mum, we're going to, we'll be all right. I'll be able to buy the house. I'll be able to good. And I'll never forget... Um, I get worked up over it as well because mum said to me, I wanted to give, you know, amongst of what, ha- what was happening, she said to me, she said, son, just, uh, oh, this team in Randwick wanted me. Um, they were like, listen, come down, we want to give you a contract, we want you to, we'll give you a job, we'll, you know, and, and it was like, just it was working as a plumber, you know, as a trade. it was a job, don't get yep. me wrong, I was grateful. And I told Mum, I said, Mum, listen, I can go to the mines. We can, we can look at, it, look at it. The contract was right there, like the, the info of what I'd earn, the pay package. And Mum was like, listen, son. And I'd missed the flight to go to Randwick. Randwick bought me a ticket, right, from Brisbane to Sydney. And, and I, and I didn't go. I said, Mum, I'm not going. Randwick called my mum, and I was like, listen, uh, what happened? What's the go? And then Mum said, listen, I'll talk to him. And I didn't know this. She told me years later. And then, Mum said to me, said, listen. What do you want to do? And I said, I want to go, because I want to... Right then, it was just, I wanted to make sure my family was fine. Like, I didn't care about myself. I, I couldn't care if I had no clothes, as long as they were, you know. And that was a drive. That was my mentality back then. And then when mum sat me down and said, son, and it still sticks to me, she said, son, take this contract. Do one year, just one year for me. And then after that, if you don't like it, you can come home. But I never want you to live with any regrets. And that, like, like I get worked up over now you know she goes never make a regret and I said uh, sorry mate <clears throat> um, yes never live with regrets and I was like oh, you know and I was hung over that day too so I still you know I was drunk I was hung over that day and I said mum I've had enough and she was like just don't live with any regrets go down to Sydney and I hated Sydney I didn't want to go to Sydney you know being in Queensland you always talk about um, you know Sydney and you know how it's a big city yeah. the big smoke they call <laughs> it anyway so I said alright for you I'm doing this for one season and I'm done. I want to come home. I don't even like rugby. And then I uh, went down there, played Randwick, got a job at a company called Trade Links. So I was a delivery driver. I was earning about 450 bucks. you know, 1600 less than what I would have been doing, <laughs> earning at the mines. And then, I, you know, so I sent my mum. was like, don't send us money. We'll be fine. Send what you can when you can. You don't need to. And like there, I was just sitting there crying. I was like, mate, I've got an opportunity to... We can be happy. We can live. And I think she... For her, she never wanted her kids to have any regrets and what they did. And she'd never, she'd always tell us kids, do you, you do you. And then when you're ready, you come home. So anyway, that year I went down to Randwick. I was meant to go down and play Colts. Yeah. I, was, I was 19 then. I just turned 20, I was in January. I went down to play Colts, the under 20 comp. And then I played a trial game. And they were like, oh mate, you're gonna play, you need to play first grade for a trial game against one team, I think it was Sunnybank. And I scored four tries that game. I went on to play to start to be the top try scorer of the Shoot Shield. Yeah. I went on to my first game for Randwick. I scored four tries in a TV game. And my first time on TV. I'd never been on TV before, and I was oh yeah, I was so excited, like I played in a Test game. And then I made under 20s for Australia that year, and I signed my first contract at the end of that year. And then uh, you know I was on, <laughs> I was on the phone to mum, and I was like, I said mum, look, I made an Australian she's She was like, and then I signed my first contract. And I said, like, Mom, Melissa, I signed my first contract. And I was crying. She wasn't. And she was like, what are you crying for? And I was like, oh, sorry, guys. Sorry, my friend. I'm tearing up. She goes, why didn't you, um, why didn't you, well, she, I was like, Mom, why aren't you crying? She was like, no, because I never, like she goes, because I know what you're capable of. You it's know, i for, right? Yeah. I'm, this oh. is 12 years ago now. I'm still yeah. Um, she goes, you know, you're, I, I, I only want my kids to not have any regrets in life. And um, you know, that stuck with me today. had not I hadn't I've gone to the mines, who knows, where would I be today. But hadn't I you know I took my mum's advice that day, you know, twelve years on I'm you know, still doing the things I love doing and, and, you know, people who said I wasn't wasn't good enough and, and stuff like that. So, you know, it always it, that's my little why, you yeah, know, why I do it and then obviously now with the baby here and I've got my own little family, it's you the know, same thing I'm telling my little brother you know have no regrets and yeah that was that that was probably a strong point a strong powerful time in my life at the time because I'd been I hated rugby then I wanted to it wasn't it was just I wanted to go to the mines it was a means to an end but then I guess it was a means to an end and I I think you know our parents know better and mum saw the bigger picture and listen I went on to play for 20s signed my first contract um, and yeah my career took off and yeah, you know, twelve years, 11, 12 years later, I'm here talking to you and, and you know having
0: a tear over what happened. Well, well <laughs> That's it's a long like, time ago, yeah. so sorry, sorry, mate. It's inc- no, it's it on. To, no, it's like uh, thank you for sharing that. Like, yeah. it's incredibly powerful, isn't it? How just a conversation can change everything. Yeah. and knowing that somebody really believes in you.
1: Yeah, I mean, especially when I didn't believe in myself, you know. Mm. And she she said to me many years later. She goes, you know, I knew out of all my out of all my like kids and nephews and stuff. The talent that you have you might not know it but he goes. it's not your size you know and we're really religious people um, well christianity is big in the fijian culture and my mom said was saying you know you've been blessed with far more than just a big body so remember that and i never knew what she meant by that and then you know as you play and people like oh you can kick you can pass you can you can do things that that's not expected you know i look back and i said maybe that's what she was trying to tell me and you know, and she said to me, she goes, you know, you're a leader, you're gonna be a leader one day. You know, you're gonna be a leader. And I was thinking in my head, oh shoot, I'm gonna captain something. I'm gonna be a captain of a team. And then I, I had a wine with her a few years later, and she, you know, she said to me, I said, mom, you remember you said I was a captain, I was, cap- was gonna be a captain or a leader. And then, um, and then I was, oh, I'm cheering up again. And then she was like, and, and I was like, I've, I still haven't captained anything. team. Well, what are you going on about? I'm still not a leader. And then she was like, no, you are, you have been, you've been captaining this family for so long and i was just like oh wow and then um but yeah you know something she says you're just like and then you look back and you're like holy heck i i was a leader of this you know of my family my household so you know sometimes when people say you're going to do something it might not necessarily mean what you what you think it is um and then so you know when people say you know are you a leader i'd like to say yeah i am both on and off the field and um yeah, my family's good now. My brothers have grown up; they're they're living their life, and mum's happy. So, but yeah, that's I mean that's that's pretty much you know where the rugby, you know, taking this rugby career serious started. And um, if it wasn't for her, like I said, you know, I'd yeah. probably be a that guy around the carver bowl in Brisbane, probably you know coming back from the mines,
0: coming back from the mines every two weeks. I actually like, but I I I capped a capped a. A kid that was on in the mines yeah. from the Northern Territories back in the day with the Sevens when I was with England, you'd have your squad of 12, and if you had lots of injuries, you had a, a, th- a, a 17th team they used to call it. Oh, really? Kids that would be in the stand, and you'd have a list of like 10 players yeah. that you could go and choose down. And we were in Adelaide, and I think we'd had about five injuries. Benny Youngs had just gone back to Tigers as well. We are down to seven or eight, so I looked on the list and I saw this kid called Mika he's an islander yeah. and so I brought him in he's the only player non-English player to play for England Sevens and, really? and he played brilliantly I played New Zealand in the quarter final of the plate I think and he got on and scored a try and did yeah. his thing and I remember when we finished the tournament um, he came off and his family literally stripped him of every yeah. piece of kit as, right. soon as, yeah. as soon as it came because it,
1: it would have been, been Nike back then
0: it, would, it, it oh. was Nike back then yeah, yeah so they did nah, some good kit be... Um, and gone. Mika was yeah Mika stayed in touch with everybody, and, oh, and then he went back up to the mines and yeah it was uh, yeah it was it was an amazing moment, but um I guess that white like obviously now like looking ahead you 're at one of the biggest clubs in Europe, and you were before that at Montpellier, yeah. so finances are, are easier now than they were yeah, um, but has that diluted your why do you think or? Is it as corny as like is it ever as corny as you're knackered and you're on the floor and you're getting up and something gets you moving from from that? Has that ever happened? Is that am I being kind of too Hollywood around that? No. I think for me now it's not I don't think
1: it's it's about why. I don't think it's about now, like why like when I'm tired and I've got to get up. My mentality now, especially coming in here now, it's like I know my time is coming to an end. I know my rugby career is finishing. So rather than I look at that as, like, make the most of it. I know it's, that sounds a bit, you know, you, as much as I, I know my why is, in the, is there, it's, it's always going to be there, so I can always pick from that. But now another why is coming in, like, I know it sounds weird, but I know that I'm going to retire, you know, I've got two, three years maybe left in me, so for me I, I think of it that way, as in there's not much left to go, Nems. You know, I know your body's tired. And it's funny because my mum keeps fueling that fire. You know, she keeps saying, you know, enjoy what you've got now. And I think it's so important that sometimes when you're in the middle of your career, you forget to enjoy it. And I think now, you know, two, three years, just say three years um, I've got left in my career. That's how I'm looking at it. It's like, so now I enjoy going to training. I now enjoy going to doing that hard stuff. When it's tired, I get back up. You know what I mean? Because now, for me, my enjoyment comes from knowing that it's
0: not going to last long. Yeah, you, ha, you have a you have a kind of it's not exactly set in stone your your end date. Yeah, exactly. But you you know where sort of where the finish line but, is going to be, right?
1: Hundred percent. Put it
0: this way, it's, it's like as if you can, it's you know,
1: you'd like to think it's long, long away, and you've got yeah. long vision, but it's not too far away. Yeah. you can see it, you know. So you want to make the most of it. And for me, I'm you know, I always um, say to myself, I'm a person that was never meant to be here, and I'd like to think that because of what I've been told and what I've think so. I take a lot of enjoyment out of my career in terms of I've done a lot of, of the opportunities I've been given. Now, I would, have loved, would I have loved to be a one-club man? Yeah, for sure. You'd love to play at one club. But do I regret going to each country and, and playing for top teams and in top competitions? No, I don't, because there's not many people that can say they've played at, in all these countries in the top competitions, you know? And I've been fortunate i to play Super Rugby, European Cup, which is the pinnacle here? If you're not playing international, played in a World Cup. I've played top 14. I've played. I've already played a Viva, I played Viva with you know. Sorry, in the Gallagher Premiership um, back in the day. So, will there be a lot of regrets? Not as much as um, I'd like to. Um, but yeah, it's life. I've really enjoyed you know my time.
0: Nems, like thank you so much for like you've you've we've had a wonderful time. I could keep talking to you. And yeah. thanks for sharing. Thanks, ben, yeah. Everything. It's been amazing. Um, yeah, and look, best of luck for the, your next chapter.
1: Yeah, next chapter, hopefully, uh, not the last one. Hopefully there'll be another one somewhere down the track. I'm sure there will be, but um, no, definitely. Thanks for having me, man. I really appreciate it. Sorry for the tears earlier. Oh, so, mate. No, it was, it, um, I was
0: very lucky to hear those stories. So thanks. thanks. Yeah, appreciate so it. It's great. Sweet. And I was very lucky to be allowed to listen and share some of Namani's story. For me, it reminded me of this. Even the very best can doubt themselves. Sometimes it needs others to shine a light on what's possible and what they have. His mum, Bale, could see his ability, not from his size or his physical shape, but from within. Those that help us find our why, find our way, are not on the field and aren't on the podiums. No one puts a medal around their neck or some letters after their name, but they count. Those silent guides that help us become our best version. As a coach or a teacher or a friend, we can tap into that by just listening and being curious about those we work alongside. Nems is doing his thing for Leicester Tigers in the Gallagher Premiership and you can find out more about that if you go to leicestertigers.com. You can also find Namani on both Twitter and Instagram using the same handle. It's at Namani underscore Nandolo. Additionally, just jump on the net and type his name and you're going to see some of the best highlight reels around. You can find more details just like that from each episode and relevant links in the podcast description and in the show notes, which can be found on my website, benryan.co.uk, along with a full transcript of each show. And please press that subscribe button on the usual platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Amazon Music, and Google Podcasts. Finally, It makes a big difference to get us noticed and help more people find us if you head to Apple to leave a review about the podcast. It's been great so far. Keep it coming. This has been the Ben Ryan podcast. Thanks for listening.